Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 181 of the Fun with Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Austrian Grand Prix from Steven Spielberg, Austria. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And of course, we have coverage from Austria. I don't know where the Steven is all about. This is just Spielberg. Um, but, oh, um, well, it's 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 interesting that they named the city off the famous director. Is that I, is that I, how that I'm works? I'm pretty certain. Okay. Uh, but uh, we also have heard from our longtime friend, Jamie Price, uh, who is our F1 unofficial fun with cars pit lane reporter slash F1 photo ace uh, and uh, Le Mans photographer as well. Yes, so, but he's unofficially official. Uh, yes, exactly. So uh, he has uh, covered for us from Monaco, from Canada, and from that other race in France. So uh, let's hear what he has to say first in chronological order from Monaco. Hi, Jim. Hi, Robin. It's Jamie Price reporting not from a track somewhere around the world. Um, I'm actually calling from Lake Norman, North Carolina, where I'm enjoying a rare weekend off after pretty much uh, three months nonstop uh, travel. If you're a fan and you've never been to Monaco, I highly recommend it. Um, even though the cars don't sing around there anymore, it is still hugely impressive anywhere you see them around the track. It's just unbelievable to see the cars that close to the barriers, um, going that fast. And it's just, it's probably one of the most amazing places you can watch a race car drive, um, from point A to point B. It's really incredible. Um, I guess as far as a race goes, it wasn't terribly interesting, but I'm sure you've beat that horse to death. And, uh, you know, I guess it came to light shortly after that Lewis Hamilton obviously blamed his team, um, you know, but, I mean, blame them, but not blame them. We win together, lose together, all that crap. But as it turns out, he was part of the, um, part of the team that made the call to make a pit stop and um, consequently lost himself the race, and I think he handled it pretty well. Um, it was good to see, you know, actually as far as a championship shakeup goes, we kind of needed it, and uh, it was good to see Nico Rosberg back in the, in the winner's circle, as it may be, and um, Sebastian Vettel second, and I thought Vettel was just such a class act on the podium. I've I think he's just in a really good place this year. Ferrari's in a good place. I can't wait to see what they do in Austria this weekend. But, um, yeah, so it was, Monaco was an interesting place, interesting race, had a great time. Um, and, you know, obviously I, I made, you know, as much of the, the race as I could photographically. It's it's just a hard place to, uh, to work as far as feeling just totally overwhelmed by the entire weekend. Um, we called, we did a pretty long podcast after last year, and that was the year that I got sprayed in the face by Nico Rosberg um, when he won down on, on the ground after the podium, which was not what happened this year. I actually got lost going back to the podium and barely made it back to the podium, but I was not on the ground level. Um, it's just a complicated place to work where you have a maze of elevators and stairs and gates and things. But I will hand it to the track marshals. They are the best in the world. I've found all over the world that marshals tend to be the, the weakest link in terms of sometimes intelligence. They're, they just do what they're told without thinking about what they're doing when they've been told it. And Monaco is just a completely different story. They are absolute professionals. They're, um, 
just great guys, great girls, and and love what they do. And it's it's just amazing to see true professional uh, track workers at work, and their their uniforms are awesome photographically as well. Just really intense with the full face fire shields and uh, great detail. I think I speak for all the photographers when we say we love working in Monaco because they just make it easy. Largely, Jamie's assessment is something that we pretty much agree on. It's pretty incredible that it happened the way it did. There's still fallout from it, but I think ultimately, like Lewis Hamilton, Jim and I largely just want to move on. Right. I mean, I I had just basically almost forgotten about the whole, oh, the pit call and this is conspiracy and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, right, yeah, that was a thing. Uh, obviously, Hamilton has not forgotten about it, but ha- has sort of moved on uh, in spite of everyone else's and the media's attempts to uh, to sort of keep bringing it up. So, uh, you know, there's all these stories of like, how could, you know, Mercedes get it so wrong? And it's not like, I mean, no one died. It's not like they even lost the race. And like, I mean, yeah, okay, he didn't win, but it's like to come third, it's not like he was, you know, last, like he was out of the race is what they I mean. Were, they were first and third right. instead of first and second. It's like so wrong. There's ways that things can go so wrong i mean you know like i guess you know letting the car out of the pits with a wheel half attached where either a you could injure or kill someone or the driver uh or b you know you get a penalty you get you know the, the car can't can't finish it crashes like there's so many things it's like this is so wrong the mercedes has made the most tactical crazy grave error it's like no they screwed up it cost the guy one you know one guy two places yeah and your other guy won and it sucks but you move on well it, yeah it, it was definitely it's a it was a bizarre call but they made it, and life goes on. And it's definitely a fair point to make that Lewis was encouraging the pit stop himself ahead of time because he was nervous about someone with a fresher set of tires being able to overtake him in a weird way after he'd built such a gap. So I think it's an important point to remember that Lewis himself did play a role in this mishap. But uh, Toto Wolf said, hey, Lewis's uh, radio communication played a very small part in the decision making. It was the data, and the data was wrong, and that's where we screwed up. So that is kind of where we just have settled. Although it does make one point, and this ties into Austria just a little bit, it does make me wonder if indeed Rosberg keeps the championship tight and somehow wins this year, but it's very close, how much will people blame the Monaco incident? and taint Rosberg's uh, win this year were it to happen. It's just an interesting footnote slash question mark. Montreal is another one of those races that, much like Monaco, really rewards a, a daring drive and and is not one of those tracks that just is miles and miles of tarmac and open space. I love photographing there. Even when it's cloudy and kind of rainy, it's still just a really cool place to take pictures of cars. Um, you, you traipse out into the jungle, the Canadian jungle, with the spiders and snakes and groundhogs and whatever else is out there. And, um, you know, a, a Formula One race car is whipping by you at 130 miles an hour right next to you and and you're just totally surrounded by jungle like there was at one point where i had to hack my way through about 150 yards of really really dense undergrowth to get to a photo location that you know rewards you if you get there but you do have to to climb about a six foot fence and then hack your way through um through 150 yards of of 
jungle. So it was a really fun weekend. Montreal's a great city. The weather rewarded us. It was a nice day. Um, it was a, a fun drive to watch from Vettel. Pretty standard at the front with Hamilton and, and Rosberg. And it was really good to see Botas on the podium as well. Uh, just just a good a good weekend, a good F1 weekend. And, you know, one of those classic tracks that, much like Monaco and and Monza and Suzuka and even Silverstone, they need to be on the calendar because it, for whatever reason, the Canadians and I guess the Americans as well just love F1. It's so important to have those races because they sell out. It's so rare to see sell-out crowds in F1 these days. I mean, you go to China and it's full of empty grandstands and similarly with Malaysia. You, there's so many places around the world that we go and it's it feels like it's just a, a charade where we we're only there for the money and somebody's paid a significant amount of money to have the race held at some obscure location but Canada and Monaco it's their classics and they they sell out grandstands every single year you you rarely see an empty seat in the house especially on race day even qualifying day was just packed it looked like a race any other place we go to in the world and race day even more so just totally full grandstands and it's great to see that and great to see the enthusiasm of really engaged fans so i've been to the uh the canadian grand prix montreal circuit gilles villeneuve I didn't remember it as such of a jungle. I guess the uh, the places that the uh, public gets to go to is is a little less jungly I than that what was those really Ferraris, cool the Ferraris, the it, photographers have to do. Well, did you notice it was spiders and snakes and groundhogs? Well, yeah, well, you know, we had <laughs> what was that? A groundhog on track during the uh, during the race that uh, thankfully got away unscathed without scathing anyone else. But uh, yeah, that was <laughs> no, that was cool description though. Yeah, for sure, and uh, and and yeah, I mean, it, it is a, it's a very cool race. Obviously, yeah, North Americans, Canadians, and and you know, from the, those of us from the states and all that, uh, we we do love. Formula One, and it's great to have this race, and it's a cool place. It's a cool, you know, track and city and everything. So, um, yeah, it's just basically all good, and really, really hope that uh, it doesn't go away. Dude, plus poutine. Oh, dude, poutine. Oh, right? I'm so hungry now that you said that. <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, again, that's uh, uh, it's you know uh, another one where I of course haven't been to Monaco. I would love to go to Monaco, and I want to uh, take Jamie's advice and say if you've never been, go. I want to go. Also, um, I can you know add to that if you've never been to the Canadian Grand Prix and it somehow makes sense for you to go, it's a great one to do. And I think even uh, you know travel from from you know Europe and England and so on is not terribly difficult. And uh, and you know it's a very cool uh, city to go check out anyway. Yeah, actually, I did a little research. They do, in fact, have airports in Canada now, so you can uh, you can fly there. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, you no longer have to take the Queen Elizabeth too. <laughs> Fantastic to hear from Jamie on those two past races, but alas, it is time for follow up, and we are starting with one, but not not one, but two emails. One, but not two. <laughs> we got uh, the first email was from Mug Two, and it says. SCFC International Co. is a factory and trader of color-changing mugs located okay, in okay, China. Okay. I, I think <laughs> we need to work on your spam filter a little bit. And he goes on, or she, or it. Um, and then uh, our second email says, Hello, my dear friend. How is your day going? I'm Catherine, but you can call me Cat if you like. And that one goes on as well. So, <laughs> lovely feedback from both Cat and Mugs. 
But uh, I don't think I have much to say about either of those. Wow, the, the mug one really was uh, something special. Well, and and Kat was right up there. Uh, she was uh, she was upset that uh, I got offline right when she was about to talk to me because I was on <clears throat> and I quote the website. Oh, the website. Oh, yeah, you were on the website, but then she wanted to talk to you. Okay, uh, so we'll work on your junk mail filter. Uh, I guess point taken. <laughs> But I think on Facebook we had some actual activity because you had uh, you had put out a question uh, from the last show about Fernando Alonso's career moves, and uh, we it was it was mentioned uh, it was brought up that uh, you know leaving Ferrari was not really his choice necessarily, but that was uh, you know being fired from that situation. Uh, but uh, anyway, I think we had some some. Uh, feedback from people there as well. Right, the main the main one I want to discuss is uh, Mr. Albert Palmer essentially agreed that uh, the worst decision Alonzo made in his career was to leave McLaren after 2007. And he went on to add the second worst decision he's ever made was to go back to McLaren for this year. Mm, well, easy for us to say now, I guess, looking at it, but I guess right. now is when we're having the conversation. Jim, again, that's why we make the decisions with hindsight because they're a lot easier. Ah, yes. Work smart, not hard, remember? Yes. And, of course, today in Austria, it was a dreadful day for McLaren. Probably you could call it their worst uh, ever because they both both cars had massive grid penalties, as in like 25 places each, I think. Uh, and then both cars were tired very quickly. Uh, one of them, of course, in spectacular fashion, being taken out by Raikkonen. Uh, that being Alonso, of course, he's okay. But uh, but then, you know, Button's car was, like, what, nine laps in or something? It was just not very far in the race. And they were, oh, retire the car. So it's like terrible start. Terrible race. Yeah. Just, you it know. genuinely seems like since Monaco, they have taken some solid steps back and are closer to the Australia kind of results. And that is sad. And it is hard to keep giving them time. Like, oh, just give them some pay, give them some time, be patient, and it's all going to be great. It's like, wow, gosh, man, we are... Well, it might, but it's it's one thing to see, you know, they were making some steps forward, right, from early DNFs and these seal failures and not running at all in practice or in, uh, in, in testing and all this kind of stuff, and then to see them running and qualifying badly, but okay, they're there, and then they're getting a little bit better and a little bit better. That's one thing, to sort of see that there's some improvement, and I think you could say that about Manor uh, Marusha, you know, that like... The, from from being nowhere in testing, not even being hardly a company in testing, to uh, you know they're at the back of the pack, sure, but they're there and they're finishing races, and you know uh, every once in a while, you know, passing someone when the opportunity presents itself to uh, usually with other people having problems, but you know, but they're there. Um, and with McLaren, it's like they were there kind of, and now they're just they're really having issues. Okay, so the Alonso Alonso departure from this race uh, was not Alonso's fault, to be clear. No, or, that or was McLaren's not Alonso's fault. fault at all. That was Honda's fault. That was clearly a Honda. That was a Honda problem. issue. Yeah, its uh, ability to ride over other cars. I mm. mean, ground clearance is just mm. way too. Yep, low. that's just not. Right, so but we don't know uh, how how long Alonso's cars would have lasted, um, you know, if, if it had stayed in the race. But if Jensen's car was any indication, probably would not have made it, and it would have either way been uh, a terrible deal. So um, it's just it's it's tough when you see that they're not even really at a baseline level of like okay they're in the back, but they're there. They're like no, they can't really finish races right now, or even get ten laps in in some cases. But it, well, since you mentioned it though, Alonso did get into Q two, and. Button, I think, had the pace to get into Q2. It was just a timing issue with weather because qualifying was a drying, starting wet and drying qualifying session. So I think it's much more a stability issue as in the stability of the system as opposed to the performance of the system. Uh, They do seem to be making a 
a little bit of ground when it comes to qualifying generally, but I'm just trying to give them yeah. credit where they deserve it. <laughs> right. So we'll see, I guess, of course, in the coming races and by the end of the year where they end up uh, and, and, you know, how things develop, obviously, you know, well, new developments to the car, but also just, you know, getting their processes and everything figured out to uh, figure out whatever is so wrong about the car right now that they can't last 10 laps, even slowly, and uh, and get those things resolved. So, yeah, we hope that it, you know, continues to move forward. This is a good time to remind everyone that half of my claim chowder already is done. I, I said eighth or better. Button finished eighth in Monaco well ahead of time. That was awesome. I just need one of those guys to get in Q3 please because i really i just i don't think claim chowder cold is going to be very good right well we'll see if your claim turns out to be accurate or if it is indeed claim chowder and then the temperature of said chowder will be determined after that uh but we had uh we did actually uh tweet this race uh live very very slightly uh because it's early morning and uh we've both been very busy i so did not tweet a single we were thing. oh well i did i was um, i was awake I, I tweeted that we weren't tweeting um because <laughs> yeah we, we were awake and watching the race live and it's like ironic that it's one of the ones we're able to actually get together and uh and watch while the race is actually happening live uh but man i couldn't be bothered to also use some mental attention to uh figure out the twitter nets and uh, and do that so um said hey to everybody that was on the feed and uh you know the a couple people that uh, that were involved, including uh, I might add Lori Jordan, uh, who's coming from the west coast of Canada. So it was way early for her. I don't know what what our excuse wow. is if she was there. Credit where uh, credit is due. But wow. uh, yeah, pretty typical European race time uh, for those fans in uh, reasonable time zones. There. So uh, you know, shout out to uh, to Lori. Uh, Ziggy was there. Dave Stevens, Ben Azuma, um, and uh, good times. And uh, you know, hopefully for other ones, we can be a little bit more both awake and watching live. And you know able to tweet but uh, we do appreciate uh, folks you know having fun and uh, tweeting along with us well one driver that was awake and much more importantly quite alert and on his game we gotta give credit to nico rosberg this race he took a small mistake in qualifying that was going to potentially capitalize on hamilton's small mistake in qualifying and uh botched it but then at the beginning of the race had a fantastic race start was clean but aggressive to get the lead, and then he ran off with it, and he controlled the race. He did a very good job. Hats off to Nico Rosberg. I am not even wearing a hat right now, just be out of respect for Nico Rosberg. But yeah, he. Uh, I mean, in qualifying, of course, it was huge when Hamilton spun, and he was already in first place. But you know, the question is, okay, well, you know, it, first of all. Uh, the, my first thought is, oh, this is a, you know the, the backwards Monaco, right? Lewis is in first, and now there's a there's a yellow flag, so uh, you know Rosberg won't be able to set a time. But Rosberg had already passed that point, so it was like, oh man, this is going to be huge. Rosberg's going to take it. Oh wait, no, no, he spun as well. So <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't we don't know for sure, obviously, if uh, if if Rosberg would have been on pole, but it didn't matter. I mean, that's the surprising thing. Usually, um, you know, even if even if Hamilton's not uh, you know on, on first place, if he's second for whatever reason, uh, a lot of times you know strategy, whatever. Uh, certainly last year, that would have been the story, right? is that, okay, Hamilton will probably get around maybe in the pit stops and carry on from there. But in this case, yeah, I mean, Nico Rosberg, he built a gap. He was outside of DRS range for pretty much the whole race. Um, and uh, and then was able to, uh, you know, with the, you know, he, he pit, which seemed like at the preferred time. I mean, you know, a little bit earlier, uh, two laps, it turned out earlier than, than Hamilton. And then I guess the question was why Hamilton didn't pit immediately after that lap. You know, the team kept him out another lap, which I think they might look back at and say, that may not have been the right call. Because uh, the data told them to well, stay out an extra lap. Uh, they may have to check their algorithm, <laughs> man. Because, yeah. Uh, but, you know, so there, that's that's one question, you know, because uh, Rosberg did not have a good in-lap um, and uh, obviously culminating in that massive lockup down to get down to the pit lane speed that they introduced the pit lane. Which he did do. But he, but he made it work. 
right? And then so if it were that, and then a, uh, a you know a, a beautiful in lap from uh, Hamilton, then you know maybe they could have been closer. But as it happened, uh, you know they they came out in the same order they went in. But of course Lewis uh, messed up the exit of the uh, from the pits crossing the white line, getting a five-second penalty, which didn't end up mattering because right. he was not, he was neither in front of, I mean, if he, if he were 4.9 seconds in front of Rosberg at the end of the race, that would have meant something. Um, and uh, you figure even if he could get around Rosberg, that, you know, getting a five-second gap would be very difficult. Um, you know, just didn't seem to have the pace for that. Um, and of course, if, if Rosberg, know, you know, knowing that that's the case with the penalty, uh, would do everything in his power to uh, to stay within range. Um, but, and then as it happens, uh, you know, Felipe Massa, who we'll talk about in a minute, um, you know, in third place was like 15 seconds back. So it was not, uh, you know, the penalty didn't end up mattering, but uh, I think that in, in a direct sense, but I guess that may have affected Lewis's um, you know, desire to push really super hard to try to get around Rosberg, knowing that he would also have to then get a five-second buffer. So I think the penalty may have, you know, still had an impact in that way. Absolutely. And what's satisfying for me, <clears throat> excuse me, is that Nico, despite, you know, he, there were no favors handed to him. He just did this with pure racing prowess and the more results he gets like that, the better his confidence is going to be. Well, it's the like they handed him a favor and then, they threw it, and then he threw it away. And then he started back for racing prowess, right? So right, and qualifying, right? right? It's and like, yeah. and uh, so, you know, this is the type of thing that will build his confidence that will help us, help him bring a better show and more competitive against Hamilton in the future. So it's good for us and it's good for Nico. And there is now uh, but a 10-point gap between them and the championship. And uh, I am looking forward to Rosberg perhaps got a slow start, but maybe just maybe can uh, – bring a challenge to the Drivers' World Championship TBD on that. Um, one of the reasons why Nico Rosberg, I think, had he was clear of DRS range pretty much the entire race was because DRS did not happen until lap nine mm. because there was a yellow flag on lap one. So there was. Because someone did not turn on Raikkonen stability control again, and he is none too happy about it. Here's what I know. Raikkonen's rear end got loose. He did a tank slapper, ended up collecting Alonzo in the process, turned into a violent-looking accident, but ultimately fairly innocuous. They were both fine. Right. I think Alonzo did say it was a 35G impact, which is not nothing, but not... Oh, yeah. No, that's a lot more than not nothing. <laughs> right. But it, it, it's, uh, it was... Yeah, Alonzo did have to go to the medical center as a precautionary thing. But Alonzo, we could see from the TV footage, was also out of the car first yep. and kind of sort of checking on Raikkonen because, you know, Raikkonen's old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what seems unclear to me is Raikkonen was exiting the corner and it seemed like he was just – he was fully straight from the corner and had exited the corner and that's when – the tank slapper occurred. But I didn't see any coverage one way or the other saying, yeah, there was an issue with the car, or yeah, he was bumped, or anything else. And the TV coverage was very light for angles for this 
So it's a bit of a question mark yeah, what happened. We saw what happened from Raikkonen's car, which was things were okay and then they weren't. And right. it went crazy sideways. In the first look, it looks like he got you know, you know, know hit from behind and knocked knocked sideways. Like it was not the kind of thing where he's in mid-corner and they, you know the rear end starts to get out and he doesn't catch it. It wasn't that kind of a thing. It was like he's going, everything's okay, and then it violently just kind of like you know really started going sideways. And then he did what he could to catch it, but it wasn't enough. Um, and Alonzo says that his dramatic first lap crash with Kimi Raikkonen was caused by the Ferrari driver losing control. And I think we all agree. Yes, Raikkonen lost control, but why yes. is right. is the question? Is, exactly, right. and we didn't see any onboards from cars behind Raikkonen. That that would have been a very telling thing to see. Okay, is it is he just on his own? I mean, of course, it's, it's lap one, so the cars are very close together. But it does seem like we would have seen damage on somebody else's car if they had, you know, a front wing would, you know, usually be shredded by that kind of a thing. So if it really was just, uh, you know, Raikkonen just driving wrong i mean you know just getting the power down too soon doesn't even seem like it would cause that kind of rotation in the car i mean it really didn't quite uh line up with with what we saw but it was really difficult to see from the angles so um definitely reckon lost control a lot of uh parallels are being drawn to of course his spin in canada this reckon you know in the in the hairpin uh which lines up with his spin you know last year in canada and so on but of just sort of except that those to me are two completely different spins with uh, well in terms of Location, if, if you look at a corner, the location of the corner, he was basically right around the apex when he spun in Canada around a hairpin 180-degree corner. Well... Here, this is a less than 90-degree corner, I believe, and maybe more, but it's right around 90 degrees-ish, short corner, and he was at pretty much the end of the exit when this happened, and it seemed like he was nearly at the end of the exit, pretty much on the straightaway the next corner. So my thinking is... Maybe he goosed it just a little bit too quickly, right when he still had just the tiniest bit of steering input in, and that was enough to overwhelm things. But, gosh, it seems like with downforce and everything else being what it was, he should have been just fine. That It's it's just a question mark for me. Right, and that, so the question, uh, one, one uh, way to, you know, I guess refer to that question mark, one question to ask is, uh, you know, is... Is reckoning either you know losing sort of focus, which seemed to be the, the the case you know in his last run at Ferrari, where it was like he was there and he was fast sometimes, but when he wasn't, it just kind of fell apart a little uh, bit. Not fo- losing motivation, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, I, which you know, yeah, depending how uh, you know how how it works for him to get to stay motivated and stay focused on one thing. If he's sort of like you know being that far back in the grid, if he's thinking like, okay, you know, maybe I can storm through like that old Canada, uh, you know, storm through and really do something amazing here, um, or you know, meh, <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. You know, we don't really know his, his attitude, but also, of course... It is funny, as a real quick side, that we were that deep in the grid and we're talking about Alonzo and Raikkonen. Yeah, that's the other thing. This is, you know, this is like battling for 17th or whatever. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Alonzo had already gotten around uh, the Marushas or whatever, because we didn't see any coverage from back there. So we don't know what was going on. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that it's that far back and that it's, you know, yeah, world champion drivers and, uh, and you know, a Ferrari and a McLaren. And yet it's at the very, very back end of the thing. Um, but, yeah, you know... The uh, obviously Vettel is like the new guy at Ferrari, um, and with the guy with the contract and all that, and Raikkonen is like, are we going to keep him on, or are we going to bring somebody else? Yeah, on or it's, whatever? it's becoming more and more of a question mark, and gosh, it 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 doesn't seem to be going well. If, but that's what we're asking. If indeed Raikkonen even wants it to keep going on, that's a bit of a question mark there because last year Raikkonen reported, I'm not going to renew this, so it might be kind of a mutual thing anyway, and. Raikkonen is in a, uh, to use U- U.S. politic terminology, in a lame duck session of his Formula One career, and he's just like riding it out. And he's taking Alonso along for the ride. One, one point I want to make, just real quick, as follow up: it was 
confirmed by Ferrari that there was something weird with torque delivery in Canada. So Raikkonen was not completely wrong to say, hey, this is what happened last year. What's the deal? Because it was an abnormal behavior. So throttle application and torque he got as a result was not what he was expecting. And he was right to expect something else. Just yeah. as a as a fair point to defend the thirty five year olds <laughs> among out there, uh, this was not a case of someone going senile. In fact, it was a case of the car being a bit goofy. These complicated machines that they some are. engineer going senile rather than the driver. Perhaps <laughs> uh, the engineer I heard was thirty six. Oh well, that's yeah. like way. Who's even whoa functioning at that? I age. mean, whoa. Yeah. Um, so there was a stewards investigation about the Reichen and Alonso clash, but that was cleared by stewards. No further action or no any action. So, um, you know, that wasn't determined to be you know, like, like you know, Reichen was doing that to gain some advantage or whatever, which I think seems like a racing incident. But yeah, the other uh, offshoot of us recording, uh, watching the race live and then recording shortly after is that we haven't seen all the you know press releases and stuff come out yet. So we don't know. We don't, we have uh, Alonso doing interviews saying that it was scary and strange uh, and that Raikkonen lost control, but we haven't heard from Ferrari yet in any kind of official capacity. I mean, Kimi said, yes, it was weird. <laughs> yes. And that's Kimi. So, uh, there's, you know, not, we're not expecting to get a whole lot more out of Kimi directly, but I would be curious to see what, what Ferrari say about it, or if there's any, uh, any data that gets released or anything like that, that, uh, that could be helpful, but uh, at least there's not going to be a penalty because that would be kind of annoying, especially, um, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if either one's worth, uh, you know, if, if Raikkonen does do well in the next round and then gets penalized because, oh, 10 big grid spots for your crash or Alonso with his 25 penalty, you know, 25 spot penalty this time, yeah. if they finally, you know, either do something great or they're just at their normal thing and say, oh, now you've got 48 places penalty. So giving no penalties. That's giving fine. Alonso a 10 grid spot penalty would be the same as giving him a 1000 spot grid penalty. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, it's like you must start the race in Norway. It's like whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, one thing that was interesting about Austria this time around is it seemed to be a very hectic, active, mistake-ridden pit stop. Uh, you know, pit strategy race. We had uh, Sebastian Vettel had a bad pit stop, mm-hmm. and I, it was one of the Toro Rosos. I think Verstappen had a slow stop. They had an issue. It was, it was troubling, and then uh, I I don't remember if it was Nico. I think it was Hamilton. Oh yeah, it was definitely Hamilton. So it was both of them. Nico locked up entering the pits, just yep. made it. Hamilton crossed the line, exiting the pits. That caused a five second penalty. A lot of like real action was in the pits, and most importantly was Sebastian Vettel had not a three second pit stop, but a thirteen second pit stop. And that basically cost him a spot on the podium. Yeah, and he was really diplomatic about it, and seemingly genuinely so after the race in a little interview, where he said, "Yeah, you know, we had the trouble in the pit stop, but it's like, but also equally, I like I lost it on the car a couple times too, and I'm sure I lost just as much time on track than the pit stop thing." So, which even though, he didn't, I don't think. I don't at think all. he did. But Ten like, seconds on track is a pretty big off. But you know that that is a uh, a, a good like you know kind of it's, it doesn't sound just overly diplomatic and like he really doesn't believe it it seems like he's like oh yeah i mean you know yeah we lost some time there but shoot dude i lost all kinds of time so it's whatever um, <laughs> i love that oh we lost some time there but shoot shoot dude i'm you know it's a family show i'm trying <laughs> trying not no. to use the word that first popped into my mind no 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 no. it's not the specific word it's the it's the it's the tone that you're like, oh, come on. Well, but he seemed that way. You know, Vettel, he seems really relaxed I, and comfortable. And- I seriously, I will, Sebastian Vettel, I will pay you $100 cash money 
if you say shoot dude he might i would love that yeah, what would be the German way to say shoot, dude? I'll, I'll look into that. Look and, into that, and please. Report back. Or, ooh, ooh, what if Total Wolf said it? Uh, huh? That'd be good. Huh? Uh, so, you know, that's that's one of the one of the things people have been talking about with Vettel anyway. Is like, okay, well, you know, not that he's old by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, you know, he's he's got a baby now, and so he's a, he's a dad. He's got his career moved. Oh, so well, he's, that's worse. He's proven his whole, his whole thing. So now, you know, it's... Once, how- once you're a dad, you're... Clearly senile. I mean, come on. Let's <clears throat> instead, instead of running driving fast cars, you want hybrids and stuff. And I yeah, mean, weird electric right? nonsense. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, so you know, there's, there's just like if his priorities have shifted, and you kind of hope that you know his family is is a very high priority for him, uh, as it is for most people. But um, <laughs> uh, let's assume that it is right now. That's it. But you know, when he was you know just. Super Vettel on the attack manual. He's never been big on like you know interviews and social media and stuff. Obviously, he came to your office at one point, and he even did. that apparently was kind of awkward. <laughs> with uh, well, uh, no, I mean honestly, it was it was very there was tension because we had a very limited time with him. Okay, and it was formal, but no, uh, uh, Christian Horner and Sebastian Vettel really loved the McLaren we had at the time. Right. Stared at and stuff. No, it was a good time. Did Vettel at any point go shoot, dude? Look at that. He McLaren. did not. Oh, I, that's see, that I know been, that would have been good. That would have been. But you know, he's not. He, he's not much of a public character. And but he seemed like this was the only thing. Like he woke up in the morning, he thought about like I'm a Red Bull driver. I need to be the fastest possible guy. I want to win everything. How am I going to do that? Get the team, get the rules. Christian Horner, the whole thing. Screw Mark Webber. I'm the guy. Um, and that was like his whole thing for, you know, his, his era. And, uh, and now he's like, all right, I've proven that I did that thing. Now I'm going to focus on the family. I'm growing up a little bit. I'm, you know, I've got all this money now. I want to, you know, just live, do my thing a little bit. And yeah, I still wanted to be, be fast, but that's not the only thing that keeps me going. So yeah, I know. I think it's good for him, by the way, Sebastian Vettel is going to be the type of guy that visits Raikkonen at the assisted living and, you know, really helps him like tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, why am I? Why am I helping you with the Raikkonen? Raikkonen is not old. You're, Stop it! You're too old to remember to not do that. But anyway, the the reason why Sebastian Vettel was not on the podium is Felipe Massa. Yet again, he had a great race. He was on the podium today. He was appreciative, and he got a hug and many other touches from Gerard Berger. <laughs> Everyone was getting touches from Gerhard, Man, it was, Gerard was very touchy. He was just feeling people up left, right, and center. <laughs> Quite literally, <laughs> he quite was. It was a fantastic. It was just you know, let's let's just hug it out That's on a, the podium. That is a touchy man, <laughs> Gerhard. Gerhard quite quite liking other people's shoulders. Anyway, the point is, uh, Felipe Massa outscored uh, Botas handedly. Drove a great race. Was on the podium. He was uh, attacked by Vettel and defended his position quite well. Um, he was pushing the limits of the car. He was, you know, running wide to make sure he was breaking as late as possible and yet maintaining and did quite good. So hats off to Mr. Massa, I say. Yeah. And speaking of family, man, you know, his his uh, wife and son were there. And I remember when little Filipino was uh, was just a tiny little baby. And it was, you know, he'd be like the Brazilian Grand Prix. Uh, you yeah. Know, as a quick aside, uh, Filipino is actually going to be racing for Toro Rosso next year. Yeah, probably, actually. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Signs so, is going to retire. <laughs> well, he's old. <laughs> he's uh, 20. But uh, yeah, you know, and so anyway, he's he's there with his family and all that, which is uh, which is great to see. So, you know, yeah, to, to see um, Massa properly hold off. I mean, yeah, he got lucky by uh, Vettel's pit stop being long, but he had work to do at the end of the race to keep Vettel behind him. And uh, I mean, I guess, you know, they're, they're both dads now, so they're not going to push that hard. They're like, I might pass you, but you know, I got my kid at home. So no, that's not that big of a deal. But, 
Well, I think I mean most. Important, it's Father's Day, okay? It's on my mind. Most importantly, it was good for Claire Williams. I think that's she was real happy about it, and that's the that's what's important. Um, so we're going to talk about one more person on the grid as a wonderful juxtaposition. Pastor to, Maldonado. No, oh. who did a great job, by the way. Speaking of tank slappers, he did a great job, and yeah, well, and the the move from Verstappen to you know the defense move that was sketchy and. Right. Uh, Maldonado did quite well to get around him and finish seventh in the process and score six points. No, oh. we're going to talk about Nico Hulkenberg, fresh off his Le Mans victory. Yeah, so it's the first uh, first time in a while. I guess they I should remember what the last one was, but an active Formula One driver taking part in Le Mans, um, which there's lots of retired Formula One drivers and uh, and people that have you know had like Andre Lauderer. You know, it's like okay, he had an F1 start in Caterham, and that was about it. it. Was a start. Well, in fact, <laughs> sir, I'm going to stop you right there and tell you that every single car on the podium for the overall victory at, in Le Mans was an ex Formula One driver. Not uh, had an ex Formula One a Formula One driver on the team. Nico Hulkenberg in the winning Porsche, Mark Weber in the number two Porsche. And um, third for Audi, Andre Lauder. Well, there you go. So there's definitely a lot of F1 talent, but it's pretty rare Do you get an active F1 driver who's you know currently competing on F1, also uh, doing Le Mans. And we haven't seen that in a while. And I think, um, and not to, to win on debut, I mean, obviously it was a whole team effort that, that you know got him there, but... You know, all respect to Nico Hulkenberg for taking that Porsche to victory. Uh, and yeah, so I was I was watching the races as best I could. You know, my, my living situation is still a little bit goofball right now. So I haven't had TV in a while, but uh, doing my best to follow along with the race and uh, and get everything, everything uh, you know, just, just kind of, I, I love the endurance racing in general um, and especially Le Mans because that is, you know, properly the jewel in the crown uh, for that, for the World Endurance Series, not just because it's in a fancy place, but it's like all the history of Le Mans. It's a 24-hour race. It's, you know, it's way longer than all the other races and it's it really is something special. You can kind of set into it and there's, there's a whole different way of winning um, that it's, you know, partly of course the speed, but just um, all the all the planning and strategy and endurance to uh, to make everything last and, and end up in the right place at the right time. It's so, funny that you say that though, because it is becoming more and more about the speed itself, um, because the cars are getting more reliable and hence have to be pushing harder. But sir, you and I watched on television. Jamie Price was there, right? So uh, we can uh, send over to Jamie uh, for some of his thoughts and feedback on uh, on I think yeah, it was his first time covering Le Mans. And uh, something again. Uh, it's, I guess it's 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 a bit stupid. I guess we should just make a list of places where, where we say don't go to. Which maybe I guess for Jamie would be the Sochi Russia track. But <laughs> if you've never been to Le Mans, I've never been to Le Mans. I really want to go. Um, I don't know that anyone would uh, would want to talk you out of that. So uh, let's just you know add that to the list. Okay, of uh, places you know when when uh, time and money allow that we should go. If it's a bucket list, you might need a bigger bucket. We're going to need a pretty big bucket. Uh, that's not really how that works. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, here's Jamie's thoughts from Le Mans. I went straight from Montreal to Le Mans last weekend um, with one of my colleagues, but I was actually working with the Nissan LMP1 program. Um, so I flew straight from Montreal to Paris on Sunday night, left straight from the track. I didn't change clothes. I was still in underwear, socks, pants, shirt. Uh, didn't even have time to change before I got on the airplane to get to Paris and then drove straight from Paris, Charles de Gaulle, down to Le Mans for scrutineering, where um, my ride was photographing the Toyota scrutineering because he's the Toyota photographer. So we had a really busy weekend, but just Le Mans is 
just an exceptional place. There's nothing like it in the world. I've been as a fan once in my life in 2012 when I won a photography contest, but this was my first time working it, and it was it was just unbelievable. And we got so lucky with the weather on race day. You you can't ask for more. You have more fans than you even can begin to comprehend. I think they had 265,000 people attend on race day, and it looks every bit as packed. You see thousands and thousands of fans parked along the track um, with campers and tents and fires going. It's like a carnival and a music festival and a, and a race all wrapped up into one. And you know, put aside the amazing atmosphere, it is an exceptional race as well. From beginning to end, the cars are going flat out. And it is so fun to watch that because you forget that with all the tire saving and fuel saving and, you know, the the Formula One of mediocrity that we now accept as Formula One in the 21st century, it's, it's really... Um, it's really refreshing to see an LMP1 car and team going for it from beginning to end for 24 hours straight. And uh, there's, it wasn't, at the end of the day, that close of a race in terms of time, but in the last couple years, there absolutely has been, you know, races where the winning margin between first and second place is less than that than it would be at an F1 race between Hamilton and Rosberg. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. And you watch this with your own eyes in the middle of the night and these guys are going for it for every second and it's dangerous. You're sitting on the Mulsanne and the cars are going by you at 210 miles an hour with pine trees that are a hundred feet tall and you can smell people's barbecues going and the birds chirping in the woods. And it's really just a special place. And, uh, and what a result for Nico Hulkenberg. I've been fortunate enough because of my work um, with the Force India team um, when I go to F1 races. I know Nico pretty well. He knows me pretty well. We had a really good chat at the driver's parade. We had a good laugh. Um, I asked him if he was going to quit F1 for this. This is obviously before he won the race, but I asked him if he was going to quit F1 and, and go sports car racing for a living. And he laughed and he said, no, I don't think so unless I win. And and then he ended up winning. So who knows what he's going to do, but it is so good to see a driver with so much talent get a, a real shot in a really, really competitive car. I mean, Porsche was going to be there with Audi and what should have been Toyota from the very beginning. They had, they wanted to win that race, and um, and they did. And it was, it was just an exceptional weekend and, you know, unbelievable result for Hulkenberg. To, to win it on his first attempt and um, and to even have a go at it at all was just fantastic. It was fantastic for F1. It's fantastic for, for World Endurance Championship. It's fantastic for Porsche. It's fantastic for the media. It was just, it had a lot of buzz about it and and Nico delivered. I mean, it takes, it takes two other drivers alongside of him, but you know, he put in, they didn't put a foot wrong. They were consistent. They were fast. I saw them um, you know, just driving away t toward the middle of the race, and and it just, you know, about what once daybreak came on Sunday morning, you start thinking, 
wow, this this might actually happen. This guy might actually win this race. And, you know, then you're an hour from the end and things, unless, unless something drastic happens, which it often does, but unless something drastic happens, he was he was looking like he was going to win the race and everybody in the press room that covers formula one. And there is, there is a lot of media. There's a lot of photographers. There's a lot of journalists, um, that cover formula one for a full-time living. And I see them week in week out. It is, uh, it's really, we all, we all had like that kind of like Christmas day look in our eyes. Like this could be amazing for everybody. We could have a real story to tell here. And, and Nico is finally able to show how fast he is in a race car. Um, so just what a weekend. I'm so thankful that I could be there working with Nissan. Um, they struggled a lot. It was really frustrating for the drivers to see the drivers and the mechanics and the team feeling so, so downbeat, um, because they knew how, how off the pace the car was. Um, but it kind of remains to be seen whether it is a car that can be turned around and put, you know, in a place that Nissan deserves to be. I mean, they're, they're a classic manufacturer of Le Mans and they deserve to be there and they've thrown enough money at it that it should be there. I just hope that they haven't gone down the wrong direction with this really radical chassis and engine. Um, and they're totally, they're totally open book about everything. They'll, you know, whereas Porsche and Audi, when they're working on the car, it's covered up. They're, you don't see one single part of that engine or chassis. But with Nissan, because they know how different their car is, they really don't care. They had, they had the engine cover off laid out on the ground in front of the garage. They had, you know, 10 mechanics working on the car at one time um, with the with every single inch of the engine exposed and visible. And I can tell you from personal experience, having looked at it for the last week, it is an exceptionally complicated engine and packaging design. Um, I think the car looks really, really good from the front. I think it looks pretty good from the rear and it looks a little long from the side, but overall, I think it's an interesting design and an interesting concept. I just hope that they can, can turn it into a winning chassis but you know you look at what Porsche and Audi are doing and it's unbelievable the kind of pace they're setting around that track it's an eight and a half mile track and the lap record was broken for the first time since the 1970s I think and they are they are throwing not only you know millions of dollars at this but hundreds of millions of dollars at World Endurance Championship and and winning Le Mans and I think that next year is going to be the real year where Audi and Porsche just and Toyota hopefully just go at it, just throw everything that they have at it and you know every single year they seem to be making these cars faster and and they sound good, they're fast, they're they're they look like they're on rails. Um it's just a fascinating race to watch. I hope you all were able to catch some of the highlights or the entire thing as it may be. Um, it's, it's such an incredible race. If you're a motorsport fan at all, it's one of those races that you have to see to believe and you have to experience the atmosphere. I remember lying in bed, we were in a camper van alongside the Bugatti circuit, which is where they run the, some of the tests and as well as the MotoGP race, um, at Le Mans. 
and so we were parked on the apex in, in a in an RV and you're sitting there going to bed the night before the race and there's fireworks and you can smell the smoke from you know a, a thousand campfires more than a thousand campfires around the around the circuit and you can hear music and dancing and laughter and and you can smell the food being grilled and um, there's bars open all night and it's just an entire village that comes together to celebrate car racing and what's not to love about that it's it's really amazing i totally agree with jamie i think what nissan is doing with their lmp1 project is fascinating it's got a lot of potential and it's very cool how nissan is more open than the other teams about what they're doing and why. You have to give Ben Bowlby, the designer behind the car, credit for, uh, pardon the cliche term, thinking outside the box because he is he is really quite good at saying, what is actually possible and why can't we try this or that? Or rather, Ben Bowlby is the creator of the Delta Wing and now he's the creator of this front-wheel drive LMP1 car, and he did that for um, what he feels is an aerodynamic advantage. However, this year, their hybrid system did not really, you know, work. They did not engage it for reliability reasons, was the official thing, which is like, (laughs) okay, so it was just front-wheel drive, because the original idea, of course, was all-wheel drive using hybrid, you know, electric motors for the rear, and some for the front as well, to, you know, make it a really interesting kind of all-wheel, you know, front-engine all-wheel drive car, which is why it's called GTR, as sort of like, oh, we have a car that's like that, and we want to connect us to the road cars in some way, so that was part of the thing. And it had about as much power as a GTR, actually. (laughs) which doesn't really hang an LMP1 super well. Well, and in fact, the Nissan's, both their cars, well, sorry, two out of three of their LMP1 cars entered, did finish the race, but they finished, I think they were the last of the running cars, which means slower than LMP1, LMP2, GTE Pro, and GTE M, which means that was not the fastest car. Well, and to be fair, that was a lot of time in the pits. It's not that they were out lapping the whole time and ended up 71 laps down or whatever it was. It was um, also they were issues that needed to be resolved and whatever. So There were a couple of ultra marathoners that went faster. There were... (laughs) No, it was not... There were some snakes and groundhogs involved. (laughs) Yes, some folks from the Canadian uh, jungle came. But no, seriously, it was... I I really applaud Nissan for uh, backing Bowlby and taking these risks, and I do think that this type of outside of the norm thinking is what helps bring innovation. So I really applaud and support it and hope they come back next year with a really strong run here. Right, and to just expand on that slightly, I think the fact that WEC uh, allows this and, in fact, sort of encourages it, this is the series where you can do that. I mean, when you look at the top runners, you've got, uh, you know, diesel turbo uh, with, you know, there's uh, obviously petrol turbo, V4s, you know, uh, straight fours, V6s, uh, you know, twin turbo, single turbo. With uh, over a 1,000 horsepower, mind you. With various, you know, there's flywheel hybrids, there's electric battery hybrids, there's just so many different things. So, uh, you know, WEC is the series where you can think outside the box. And then to go way outside the box. Uh, so to to be clear for the Nissan stuff, um, not only is this their first run at Le Mans, this is really their first race. They were originally going to try to campaign the entire WEC season, and then through various technical difficulties and testing challenges.
challenges and so on, uh, were not able to do that. So this was um, not the first time the car had been tested. You know, they've been running test laps and all that, but um, you know, they really, really wanted to make a Tillamaw, and they did. And the fact that two of the cars finished is a huge step on its own. So that's the kind of thing where we weren't expecting them to come out and dominate uh, on you know race number one and that race being Le Mans. That's just so so rare that that happens uh and of course this is even you know porsche's second year in uh, in the whole series and uh you know they've been fast in the past but not as reliable and of course we still had an audi win last year so uh for the uh yeah for the nissan to to start where it is that's a starting point and uh, i think you know they can look forward to uh to getting better from there completely agree and uh once again thank you so much for jamie for giving us feedback on the last couple of races and uh as well as the insights into Le Mans, and specifically what Nissan was up to. Thank you so much. So good to hear from you again. And uh, looking forward, yes, take a, uh, take a touch of time off, but please get back to the F1 calendar and give us more. We love it. Um, next up is actually going to be the British Grand Prix in Silverstone. Ooh, fish and chips. Yes. Oh, yes. And tea time. And Oh, man. Yes. We're going to eat Good. <laughs> we still never got poutine, though, from the Canadian Grand Prix. Oh, man. Nor since the, you know, hour ago that you mentioned that to me, and I'm still like, oh, <laughs> Anyway. Anyway, so that's in a couple of weeks' time. But I think for now, we should predict. Oh, yes. We should do that. So first, though, we can figure out uh, how our previous predictions went. And to that, we go to the wonderful predictions app, uh, of course, by predictions that himself, Neil Popham. Jim Lau, not just an Austrian accent, is extraordinaire. He can sing, too. He's a double threat guy. What? Um, <laughs> um, I want you to sing oh, everything from the previous predictions That's app. not going to happen. So the... Um, Okay, so the predictions app has not yet been updated, so we have to do the do the math manually here for a moment. Um, so I had predicted Pamilton, 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 Pamilton would be uh, would be the uh, on on hole position and uh, winner of the race. Yeah, it's going well. Um, I was not quite correct. Of course, I got one point, um, which is probably a lot of folks did as well. Um, you, sir, went for uh, Vettel on pole. I did. I decided to change it up, and I said, you know what? It's not going to be a Mercedes on pole. I was wrong, despite all the spinning that happened in Q3. I was wrong. Uh, however, uh, Vettel was the best of the rest, qualified third, and Lewis Hamilton did not win the race. Nico Rosberg did. I scored yet another point for that. So I ended up scoring three points total to your one. However, however, you're in in spirit or whatever it was you said, and you know, uh, you're, you're yes in your heart you wanted to put Kimi Räikkönen on for I'm, pole. And I'm I, thank goodness he didn't go for that because that <laughs> that would have been a great. Unlike many points. some Mercedes teams I know about, my data told me the right thing. Oh, there you go. Don't mess with well, my algorithm. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. And my my data was less wrong. Right. For the rest of the results, uh, please do visit. Uh, you can visit funwithcars.com. You can click on the link to the predictions app and see where you uh, fail. Uh, where you fail. <laughs> where, you, where you fall on the lo- on the order. I can just not really talk anymore. I think we can just wrap it up. No. Okay. So we can do our predictions now, and then we'll put them into the app uh, later on when that is updated. So you can see where you fail in the future. Well, I can see where I'm going to fail. I am having a hard time. I'm holding back the laughter right so now. So you're gonna, that good. Is it going to be Rosberg, uh, is it is it the Ross Ross show now, or is Hamilton going to uh, do something brilliant again? I, sir, am changing my prediction. Ooh, can you reckon it? So that Lewis Hamilton is on pole, and Lewis Hamilton wins the race. It, I think. Listen, it's Silverstone. He knows that it's the British Grand Prix. Yeah, Rosberg, Lewis Rosberg doesn't British. know anything about Silverstone. He's never been there. Never been. Doesn't even speak English. 
Hardly, right? Couldn't tell a fish from a chip. Nope. Nope. He would look at a chip and think that, why are these potatoes sliced so thin? It's an American chip. Jeez. Anyway, yeah. A Hamilton, Hamilton. This is, this is, he's going to want to get back on form. This is a place to do it. Sounds good to me. Well, I'm leaving. No, I'm leaving mine. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not going to change it. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with what almost worked. But I, and, uh, uh, I agree with your logic. He knows a fish from a chip, and he knows he knows a good chippy from a bad too. That's the see, <laughs> that's that's really the, where the real money is. And to that end, we actually have more uh, feedback from Mr. Will Carver, oh, yeah? the brave man that he is. All right, he says. I'll admit that didn't go quite as well as it could have. Still, starting from 25th. <laughs> on a 20-spot grid is a record of sorts. Not precisely sure that the FAA haven't lost their marbles on this one, but what's new? When Shumi was racing, it was Ferrari International Assistance. Now it's just forever investigating annoyances. But but to Will Carver, the brave man that he is, hats off. Our hats are still off. So, um, thank you, as they're, always. They're actually off, and they're waving at... The Honda engine's trying to cool them well, off. Well, it's on fire. Yeah. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, please do visit funwithcars.com, where you can see show notes, um, which are also probably in the podcast player of uh, on your device right now. Um, and uh, also, there's links to our Facebook page, where there's a lot of activity and feedback and people posting fun things, and to Twitter, which sometimes we're awake enough to do and sometimes we're not. Um, but uh, you can always look up hashtag FWCars on either Facebook or Twitter and see like-minded folks talking about those kind of things. And uh, as always, if you uh, are in the iTunes store and feel like uh, putting any ratings or reviews on our show, we always appreciate that as well. Uh, that helps new people find us, and that's always fun as well. Uh, also, you can email feedback at funwithcars.com if you're not so much a Facebook or Twitter kind of person and more of an email kind of person or for uh, longer form thoughts. And uh, you can correct me on all the uh, words that I mispronounced yes. today. Or please tell us about all your mugs. <laughs> Whatever mugs or <laughs> online chat services you may wish to offer, uh, Robin will read those. I will uh, discard them. But uh, thank you as always. Uh, until next time, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Ron Warner saying in two weeks time, join us for a spot of tea then. <laughs> Why? There's a lot of, it's, it's kind of a thing. It's tea time. I thought that wasn't terrible. It was. I'm I am still Rob Moore.